today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Never think for a second that God wants to resort to this. God has no choice but to resort to this. And oh, by the way, spoiler alert, it works. As far as idolatry is concerned, they would learn their lesson, but it would take this in order for them to learn their lesson. God would have to refine them and purify them and teach them this lesson in the furnace of affliction. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Jeremiah. The consequences of pride and idolatry often lead to God waking us up, perhaps in an unfavorable way. In today's message, Pastor J.D. will explore how God's refining of the Israelites often meant hard things. Even still, he continued to come through for them just as he does for us every day. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Jeremiah chapter 14 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Oh, God. Lord, we want to eat from the bread of life. And as we do, Lord, satiate that hunger that we have, that thirst that we have. We can't live on bread alone, but by every word that comes out of your mouth and Your word before us, it is life. And so, Lord, as we go through these two chapters, yes, tough stuff. But you, O Lord, have this in our Bibles for a reason. And I trust, Lord, that you're going to show us what that reason is, especially as it relates to adversity and affliction. So, Lord, speak by your Holy Spirit as only you can and are always so faithful to. That's what we're longing for. So, Lord, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, so we're making our way through Jeremiah. We're going to pick it up in chapter 14, both chapters sort of go together and woven into the fabric of these two chapters is a most powerful and profound principle concerning one, there are many, but one of the many purposes of adversity and affliction. Namely, why it is that oftentimes God allows the adversity and the affliction in our lives. This is by no means an exhaustive study, but there is one purpose, I believe, that the Lord wants us to see here, and it's that of Him turning us back to Him because we're all prone to stray from Him. And such is the case here with God through the prophet Jeremiah concerning Judah. 
I think of what David wrote in Psalm 119. He says it twice, the same thing in two different ways. In verse 67, Psalm 119, he says that basically it was a good thing that God afflicted me. It's almost like he's thanking God for the affliction because he knows absent the affliction he would have been and gone astray. Then you get to verse 73 of that same psalm, the longest psalm, the longest chapter in all of the Bible, by the way. (laughs) And again, he says the same thing in a different way. He says, it was good that I was afflicted. Thank you, God, for afflicting me, because had you not afflicted me, I would not have taken heed to your word and kept your word. So again, what we have before us tonight is one of the many reasons why it is that God will allow adversity and affliction. So, verse 1, the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah concerning the droughts. Judah, verse 2, mourns, and her gates languish. They mourn for the land, and the cry of Jerusalem has gone up. Their nobles have sent their lads for water. They went to the cisterns and found no water. They returned with their vessels empty. They were ashamed and confounded, perplexed, and covered their heads as if to say, I can't face this, because the ground is parched, verse 4. For there was no rain in the land. The plowmen were ashamed. They covered their heads. Yes, verse 5, the deer also gave birth in the field, but left because there was no grass. And the wild donkeys stood in the desolate heights. They sniffed at the wind like jackals. Their eyes failed because there was no grass. Well, this is what God does, whatever it takes. He'll allow the droughts, the affliction, which in that day, you have to understand, in that agricultural society, this was life and death. If there was no rain, there were no crops. And if there were no crops, there was no food. And if there was no food, that meant you would starve to death. This was a matter of life and death. Now, let's talk about why. Because God wants to get their attention. Well, that would get my attention. I think we do err greatly when adversity strikes, when in affliction we don't stop and consider and inquire of the Lord. Lord, what do you want me to see? You got my attention. What do you want me to see here? There must be a reason why you've allowed this drought to strike. 
There must be something that you're wanting to show me, because the implication here is that heretofore you've not had my attention. And it came to this, and you had to allow this in order to get my attention. You got my attention. Good. We need to talk. We need to talk about a few things here. Verse 7, O Lord, though our iniquities testify against us, do it for your name's sake. This is Jeremiah now pleading as we're going to see him do throughout. For our backslidings are many. We have sinned against you. Oh, verse 8, the hope of Israel, his Savior, in time of trouble. Why should you be like a stranger in the land and like a traveler who turns aside to tarry for a night? Why, verse 9, should you be like a man astonished, like a mighty one who cannot save, yet you, O Lord, are in our midst, and we are called by your name. Do not leave us. I mean, this is a plea from the heart, a heartfelt plea. Oh, please, oh God, yes, we have sinned greatly against you. Yes, our backslidings are many. Yes, our iniquities testify against us, but for your namesake, we're going to see this again. He's making this heartfelt plea and appeal on the basis of God's goodness. And he's pleading with God, be merciful to us. Please do not leave us. Please do not forsake us. You know, that's how it feels sometimes, right? When you're going through it. It's like, God, where are you? I don't sense that you're, you're here. It's like my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. You seem so distant. I'm not distant. I'm still in your midst. You're still called by my name. I'm still good. No matter how bad it seems, it can never change how good I am. Verse 10, thus says the Lord to this people, thus they have loved to wander. They have not restrained their feet. Therefore the Lord does not accept them. He will remember their iniquity now and punish their sins. Then the Lord said to me, Do not pray for this people for their good. When they fast, verse 12, I will not hear their cry. And when they offer burnt offering and grain offering, I will not accept them, but I will consume them by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence. God is saying that if he were to hearken under the voice of their cry and answer their prayers and accept their offerings and end the famine, they would just continue in their sin and idolatry. 
never think for a second that God wants to resort to this. God has no choice but to resort to this. And oh, by the way, spoiler alert, it works. As far as idolatry is concerned, they would learn their lesson, but it would take this in order for them to learn their lesson. God would have to refine them and purify them and teach them this lesson in the furnace of affliction by way of the sword, by way of famine, by way of pestilence. Then I said, verse 13, and these three words, Ah, Lord God, in the English language, it doesn't even come close to expressing the intensity of what Jeremiah is doing here and saying here and pleading with the Lord here. Ah, it's, it's an anguish. It's a painful anguish of the soul. Lord God, ah. And then he says this. This is interesting. Behold, the prophets say to them, you shall not see the sword, nor shall you have famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. Now why in the world would Jeremiah say this to the Lord? Here's what I'm thinking. It's not really all their fault, Lord. Ah, oh, Lord God, they, they were told by these prophets in your name, by the way. Come on, there's no famine coming. There's no sword coming. It's all good. Peace, peace, when there's no peace. And the problem is, the people, as we're about to see here in God's response to Jeremiah, they loved to have it so. In fact, they would say to these false prophets, speak to us only smooth things, and we'll flock to your church, and we'll give to your building fund, <laughs> and we'll subscribe to your social media. You just... Tell us what our ears are itching to hear. And you got to know, here's Jeremiah, a lone voice in the wilderness, that doom and gloom preacher. Now, nah, come on, that's not going to happen. Here's Jeremiah prophesying as a prophet, the weeping prophet, in the name of the Lord. No, that's false. Judgment is coming. Famine is coming. The sword is coming. There is no peace. You know what Jeremiah is doing, right? He's actually trying to make an excuse for the people and lay the blame at the feet of these false prophets who, I mean, Lord, no wonder, no wonder they're doing this because that's what they were taught. That's what they were told. Really, what, what you should be doing is judging the prophets, not the people. Because the people went every week and heard these False prophets say, no, it's all good. 
He's trying to make an excuse for the people. What's the Lord's response to that? Oh, verse 14. (laughs) It's not good. And the Lord said to me, the prophets prophesy lies in my name. I have not sent them, commanded them, nor spoken to them. They prophesy to you a false vision, divination, a worthless thing, and the deceit of their heart. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who prophesy in my name, whom I did not send, and who say, sword and famine shall not be in this land. By sword and famine, those prophets shall be consumed. How about that? That's not in the original text. I Emphasis added. Well, I'll take care of the prophets. Yes, Jeremiah, you're, you're right. The prophets are to blame, and I will take care of that. I'll handle that. Well, what about the people then? Well, that's verse 16. And the people to whom they prophesy shall be cast out in the streets of Jerusalem because of the famine and the sword. They will have no one to bury them, them nor their wives, their sons nor their daughters, for I will pour their wickedness on them. (sighs) They are without excuse. Well, wait a minute. This seems disproportionate. Because they went to church every week, and they sat under the teaching, and the message was always a fluff and puff. But they had a choice. They knew what Jeremiah was prophesying over here. They just didn't want to hear it. So they flocked in great numbers, Paul to Timothy, to those who would tell them what their ears were itching to hear. No, this is on them. This is not disproportionate. This is not unjust. They had a choice. Am I going to listen to that which I want to hear, my ears are itching to hear, or am I willing to listen to what I don't want to hear, but I need to hear it. Yeah, but it's it's hard. Yeah, but you need to hear it. Because it's life and death serious. I know you don't want to hear it. Who wants to hear that? But the choice was theirs. I mean, they they could have gone to where Jeremiah was, but they didn't. Jeremiah had to go to where they were, remember that? I think it was about chapter 11, chapter 12. You know, before they threatened to kill him. He went to them. They were coming to him. Here he had this beautiful church building, and nobody showed up. Well, where are they? Oh, they're down the street at that other church, because that guy doesn't tell them what they need to hear. 
So what does Jeremiah do? Well, God says, hey, listen, they're not going to come to you. So nice chairs, by the way, but you need to go to them. So he goes to the city gate where all the people are in great numbers. And he starts proclaiming and prophesying as they're walking by and looking at him and mocking him, probably spitting on him. Jeremiah, what are you doing here? Well, you wouldn't come to my church, so I had to come to you. God told me to. I don't want to hear this. Well, tough. You've got to hear it because you have to be where I'm at, and so you're going to hear what I say. So they, they actually are accountable. Because you have to understand that everybody knew who Jeremiah was. Oh, I didn't know there was a church like that, or a prophet like that, or a prophecy like that. If I'd have known, I probably would have went. No, you wouldn't have. (laughs) Nice try. No, everybody knew who Jeremiah was. He's that one prophet that's just doom and gloom. Judgment is coming. No, thank you. I hope you'll see what we're about to read now through that lens. The lens of God's love and the lens of God's just judgment. Therefore, verse 17, you shall say this word to them. Let my eyes flow with tears night and day, and let them not cease. For the virgin daughter of my people has been broken with a mighty stroke, with a very severe blow. If I go out to the field, verse 18, then behold those slain with the sword. And if I enter the city, then behold those sick from famine. Yes, both prophet and priest go about in a land they do not know. Now Jeremiah has some questions beginning in verse 19 for the Lord. Have you utterly rejected Judah? Has your soul loathed Zion? Why have you stricken us so that there is no healing for us? We looked for peace, but there was no good, and for the time of healing, and there was trouble. We acknowledge, O Lord, verse 20, our wickedness and the iniquity of our fathers, for we have sinned against you. We acknowledge that. Do not abhor us, verse 21, for your namesake. There it is again. Do not disgrace the throne of your glory. Remember, do not break your covenant with us. And whenever you read, remember, it's not like God forgot. It's more like this. God, recall those times when you were so faithful to us, so merciful to us. Remember, God, what you did in the past? Remember your faithfulness to us? Are there, verse 22, any among the idols of the nations that can cause rain? Oh, interesting, by the way, Baal. (laughs) He was supposed to be the god of rain. You'll forgive me for seeing the humor in this, but God's like, "Oh, oh, you think Baal's the god of rain? Oh, oh, Baal is the one who provides rain? (laughs) Watch me now. 
We're so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. The book of Jeremiah is one of those books that's not the easiest to walk through in the Old Testament. It's almost like you see the train wreck that's up ahead and you want to warn them, but they just don't listen. Then you have other verses in this book that are commonly claimed, but what does it really mean in the context of what's going on? Jeremiah 29 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. But if you're looking at the train wreck up ahead, you wonder, how does claiming that verse fit with exile and judgment? Ultimately, God's plan and purpose are to bring people back to himself in reliance and dependence on him, not in their own possessions or their comfort. The same could be said for you today. You may be going through something that seems like judgment or exile, but are you drawing closer to the Lord in the process? There's a future and a hope, but it may play out differently than you'd like. If you're just getting into this study and want to listen to other teachings from Jeremiah, go to calvarychapelkaneohe.com to find these messages. There are a variety of additional resources on our website. Until we meet again, we encourage you to dive deep into God's Word and then come back for our next edition where Pastor J.D. will continue on in the book of Jeremiah. We look forward to that time with you here on In Spirit and Truth.